to the510.com. Yeah, is this going to suck the whole time, or is this like the only part that sucks? I just want to gauge how much suck I have to freaking sit through. I don't know. I mean, does anyone really pay attention to radio anymore? This is getting stupid. You ever been in a cockpit before? No, sir. I've never been up in a plane before. You ever seen a grown man naked? That may be the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. You balls have been tempered in the fury of hell's dragon. Stupid! You're so stupid! Ladies and gentlemen, your host, JC. Welcome, everybody, to the 510 Podcast. I'm your host, JC. This is episode 32. If you're new to the program, welcome. Every episode, we get to talk to people in the music industry. This could be producers, DJs, musicians, you name it. And we talk about what they're going on, what's going on in their lives, what they've done in the past. And then we spend a little bit of time talking about the future of the music industry. And this week, I'm really excited because we get to talk to Lizzie Edwards of Lizzie and the Makers. They have a new album coming out in November, Dear On Wall. Lizzie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm thrilled. Uh, you have a really cool background. Like you come from a music family. So, you know, usually we start out like, how did you get into music? But it's pretty fucking obvious how you got into music. <laughs> but but talk about like your childhood and your upbringing and being around music your whole life. Um. Well, you know, yeah, again, right. My grandmother was a classical harpsichordist. My grandfather was an opera singer. And then my dad was a rock and roll guitarist and musician. Um, <clears throat> so I was always around it, even at a very young age. Um, and, but my parents always, they never wanted to force me into anything. Yeah. Um, so it really did come about naturally. I never felt pressured to be a musician or take music classes. Um, I think I was around four years old and one of my friends was taking piano lessons and I was really jealous. Um, <laughs> and so I asked them, I said, I want to do this. Can we, can I do this? Yeah. And they said, sure. And then I started taking music theory because I was just, you know, enthralled with everything music. Um, and when you're in theory classes, part of that is um, doing ear training and, and some singing as well. And so, so even though I came from a music or I come from a musical family, um, I still feel like I had complete agency in, in choosing this path for me, whether it's, whether it was the right choice or yeah. not it changes every day, but um, <laughs> that's, sure. yeah, that's kind of how I ended up here. Yeah. But I mean, the- were you writing songs? Cause now you, you write songs now, but like, <laughs> what was the first like arrangement you did or song you wrote where you're like, this could actually be something I could do as like a career. Um, I think it was, there, there are two points. Uh, one, when I was younger, I used to write songs um, to my cat all the time. Nice. Um, and so that just kind of was something I did naturally. Yeah. Um, I, I really loved my cat growing up. Um, <laughs> but it was in college where I really started to write lyrics and chords <clears throat> and arrangements and thought, you know, actually... I'm, I, maybe I could do this. Um, and I was very shy, uh, with my, with my lyrics. Um, I, you know, felt like I was always very vulnerable and was always, and was nervous about sharing something so personal and having someone critique it. Um, but I started to come out of my shell a little bit in college and started just sharing some stuff with friends and got positive reactions. And then, after college, I worked uh, in a recording studio, and because I worked there, I got to record demos for free, and so I just 
kept writing and, and learning and, and changing, um, you know, my style. I think I was very jazz at first and then blues and then a little more rock. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so I guess really around like 18, 19, I started to feel more confident as a songwriter and, and sharing yeah. uh, my stuff with people. Who who would you say were some of your influences in the early days as you're trying to figure out what your style was going to end up being? Who influenced that? So it's a really a broad range of influences. I uh, grew up, you know, in middle school, I was obsessed with Billie Holiday. Um, I listened to everything she ever recorded. I read every book about her. Um, but, you know, I, I liked her. I didn't want to sound like her. I liked her because she had such a unique sound mm -hmm. and to me it was always important that uh you sound you don't sound like everyone else you you sing and, and everybody knows it's you you know like you hear janice joplin you know it's janice you, right. you don't have to google the song to see who sings it mm -hmm. um so i think that influenced my sense of indiv individuality as a singer um i also listened to a lot of aretha franklin and led zeppelin um, and I loved the, uh, the song structure of Zeppelin songs. I loved how, especially their acoustic stuff. I loved how stuff came in kind of quietly and unassuming and then ended with a bang or, or really kind of climaxed. Um, yeah. and so that definitely influenced my song form. Um, but I also love Nine Inch Nails and Fiona Apple and <laughs> Janet Jackson um, and Bonnie Raitt. I'm obsessed with Bonnie Raitt. So, I, I mean, I think these are all singers across different genres, but they all have, like I said before, an authenticity to them, a unique sound. You know who it is um, when they're performing. And so I'd, I'd say that's how they all kind of had the same influence on me, even though they're very different artists. Yeah. And, and this the sound that you have adapted over how has that changed over time for your whether it's the the songs that you've written and, and what style they're in to what you're doing now with Lizzie and the Makers how has that adapted and and matured over time um I think I, I really started out um writing a lot of blues songs and I, and I wasn't doing it on purpose but I would kind of just write what I was feeling and then realized that almost every single one of them was coming out as a blues song. So I think at first that was really my style. Um, and then I started to learn more about chord progressions and, and um, you know, 12 bar blues, but also maybe ways to step outside of that ways to take a blues song I wrote and maybe change a few chords or, or change some um, time signatures to make it, a little more than blues, like a little more interesting and blend my blues, you know, kind of the, my natural draw to blues, blend it with something more rock and roll or avant-garde or a little interesting. And I think throughout the years writing with my co-writer, co-writer, Greg McMullen, um, we've gotten to a place where now it's really, we've blended like blues and shoegazy music um ambient stuff with hard rock um but in a very natural way you know it doesn't sound forced like here's a blues chord and now we're going to make it sound like this it just right uh, over time we, we found our voice kind of incorporating all these influences in a way um that 
that where they just kind of enhance enhance the form as opposed to fight with each other. So, I mean, I, I would say I went from blues to kind of Southern rock to now, I don't even know what you would call it, but it's <laughs> definitely us and our sound. Um, and I like that songs have twists and turns in them and unexpected resolutions. You know, you, you think it's going one way and then it takes you down a completely different path. So yeah, could, that's where we are today. The band itself got a pretty unique start. Talk a little bit about that. I mean, you guys formed because you needed a band for a festival. That's not typically that's not typically how bands get formed. Like talk talk no. through that, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, it's also it it, it speaks to my uh, stubbornness as a musician and a person. <laughs> um, my I was supposed to play headline a blues festival with a blues band I'd been singing in, and we just put out an EP. I was really excited about it. Um, and the day after our EP release, the band leader informed me that that was it. That was his goal was to record an EP, have a release show, and then he had no intention oh, man. of playing any other shows. So this was a week before the festival and I refused to give up the spot. I yeah. was like, nope, I'm going to cobble something together in a week and I'm still going to make it happen. I'm not, I'm not giving up this spot. And so I worked at a place called Pete's Candy Store, um, which is a small music venue in Williamsburg, um, great place. And uh, kind of worked with a lot of musicians there, you know, whether they played there or like musicians who were on staff working there and was trying to put together a band. One of my friends who worked there was a bass player. He said he'd play bass. Um, another guy who ran the open mic there was a drummer. He said he'd play drums. Um, and then this guitarist came up to me one day when I was working and said, I hear, I hear you're trying to put a band together. I want to be in it. And that was Greg. And I was just like, you've never even heard me sing. Are you sure you want to do this? You don't even know what kind of songs I do. And, and are, are you really sure you want to do this? Cause he was an amazing talent. I mean, still is. And I was kind of shocked that he would blindly want to be in my, my band that, had three days to get ready for a gig and uh but he he was into it and so we put together a bunch of um blues songs and covers had one rehearsal and then we were sitting at at the bar and we're like we need a band name um so we were sitting there we knew we wanted to be lizzie and the somethings so we go down the row of whiskey bottles behind the bar and trying each one out to see which works. We're you know, Lizzie and the Doers, Lizzie and the Bullets, Lizzie and the Jamesons, Lizzie and the Makers. Actually, you know what? That sounds that works. Let's let's go with that. So within a week, we had a new band, a band name, played the show, pulled it off somehow, um, and then that was it. It just it vibed, and we, we've had some changes in in the players, um, but we've been pretty much the same same uh group for for about 10 years now um and it just it just kept working so it was pretty organic and and surprising but uh yeah we got lucky i guess <laughs> that's amazing that's that's yeah. it's a unique story you don't hear that i mean i've never i've been doing this since 2008 i don't think i can you know think of a band that is formed because they have have a gig coming up and they need to like cobble together a band yeah it's, right. yeah, it's, it's a little so cart unique. before the horse well it's it's amazing because i mean you you definitely got some there's something special there 
and and so that's it's really cool origin story how you know you talked about you know you and greg being co-collaborators talk a little bit about the process that you and greg take when you're writing a song and how it's evolved over the years um so at first it really started out with him sending me um guitar riffs he was working on he's really good at kind of waking up every morning and first thing playing the guitar and seeing seeing what comes out um and he would send over two or three little snippets of of ideas he had just instrumentals and i would listen to them and i kind of just was immediately drawn to to his playing and, and his form and the melodies came out really easily. I mean, I would just listen and melody would pop into my head and I do a lot of journaling. So I do pull a lot of my lyric ideas from my journal writing. Um, and it just worked and it just kept working. And then we evolved into me being more confident um, coming up with the chords. So uh, as a pianist, I would then start sitting down at the piano and writing out some chord progressions with the loose melody. And then I would send that to Greg and then he would maybe change, make a few changes or add a bridge. Um, so so it, it's different. You know, it's not always Greg that starts a song or me that starts a song. It's, it's a little of both. Sometimes we're sitting down together and we just write one there on the spot uh, at the same time. So every song has a different kind of history as far as how we wrote it but we've we've definitely evolved into from just him sending me ideas and me writing melodies to them to more of a, a back and forth um idea and yeah i mean i'll wake up in the middle of the night sometimes have a melody in my head and record it and then send it to him the next morning um so it's it's all spontaneous inspiration and and it, and it just works I, I always call him my musical soulmate because He's really good at interpreting my uh, little ideas that I send him that aren't fully formed, but he, <laughs> he somehow gets where I'm trying to go with it That's amazing. without issues. So yeah, it's, it's been really great. Nice. <clears throat> Dear on the wall is your guys's next album. How has, how's this uh, album different than albums past? Like how's the sound evolved it, you know, or matured through, with this album? Um, well, this album, we <clears throat> decided to work with producers for the first time. Um, okay. We were always self-produced, but I think we felt like it might be good to have an outside ear, someone who wasn't so inside the songs that they could maybe listen and think, oh, why don't you do this here instead? Or, right. or why don't you enhance this? Um, <clears throat> you know, we didn't want anyone to completely rewrite what we were doing. We were very adamant about that but we felt like we just needed something, some extra perspective. And so <clears throat> on this album, we worked with <clears throat> Reeves Gabrels, who uh, is a member of The Cure and played with Bowie in the 90s. And, uh, and then Mario McNulty, <clears throat> who also worked with Bowie. Uh, he's an, an engineer and a, mi a mixer. And um, <clears throat> it just, they heard something in our songs that they loved and it, it was a perfect match it kind of elevated us to the next level where we wanted to be with our sounds but without really changing too much just like i use the word enhance a lot and i feel like that's what they did they kind of took what we were already doing and just 
just enhanced it. Um, and, and so the sound is definitely, I think we, we push the envelope as far as our comfort zone a little bit. Uh, we're, we're not writing such Southern rock songs or, or maybe predictable songs. I mean, that predictable can have a negative connotation, but you know, predictable is also accessible. Positive thing. But um, yeah, I think Reeves and Mario also just gave us that encouragement to go to that weird place we wanted to go to but we're afraid to before. And so this album, I feel like just really, we reach new atmospheric <laughs> places um, with our sound. Um, and and it, it feels most like us, uh, more like us than anything we've ever written. Um, but, but having those two there to kind of push us a little bit really helped, really helped us a lot. Does that mean that probably future albums you're going to consider bringing in a, a producer or is this something that you'll go back to doing, you know, your, your self-produced stuff? I mean, if you could compare the two, like what do you think came out as, as um, a product that you would want to go forward with? Um, I mean, I do think that there were little changes or not changes. There were little suggestions that the, the two producers had, that maybe we hadn't thought of or maybe didn't initially agree with at first. Sure. And then when we gave into it and tried it, we realized, oh yeah, this is exactly right. Um, this is what we were aiming for. So, uh, you know, there is a side of us that thinks, okay, we went through this experience. We learned a lot. We can self-produce again. But I just, I really loved working with, with these two guys and, I don't know. I'm now I'm a, I'm addicted to them. So <laughs> I feel like I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep working with them uh, going forward. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just such an organic experience and so easy. Um, and, and and it takes a little bit of the heavy lifting off of us. If yeah. We're not self. We just we just have to go in and play, um, which is more more a chill experience than trying to do everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, obviously, COVID impacted a lot of things, right? We kind of had to sit around and, and wait for things to subside and, and be safe again. How did COVID affect you all? And, and how did you stay connected with your fans? Um, so we decided right during quarantine, when when it started, when lockdown started, yeah. um, Greg, Greg lives in um, Greenport, Long Island. I live in Brooklyn. And so we were like, we need to keep playing to keep sane. Mm -hmm. um, I was, we weren't going to go weeks and weeks without playing, but we were in two different locations. And so we were trying to figure out how to do that. Um, we wanted to do a weekly live stream. We felt like everyone's shut in. Let's do a weekly live stream, take song requests, write new songs, debut them on the live stream. You know, every Thursday we did it. Um, we had a bunch of funny mishaps, you know, tech, tech, tech problems. Uh, <laughs> it, it became kind of a little variety show, some tech problems, some dramatic readings of uh, white noise. Cause I felt like I was in a Don DeLillo novel when everything locked down uh, and the, felt like the world was ending. Um, and then a lot of songs and people love to make requests and chime in. And it was actually a really cool way to interact with people that was very different from a live performance. You know, you're, you're live streaming and people are commenting and you can respond to them, um, which doesn't really happen at a live show where people are, you know, 
posting comments during, <laughs> during the performance and then you get right. to answer all the questions or, or respond to all the comments. Um, and one thing we really figured out was how, you know, on Zoom, you can't really play together on Zoom from different locations because of the delay. Right. Um, and so we spent a lot of our lockdown just exploring different platforms and figuring out how best to do that and kept us very busy. Um, and now I feel like, yeah, now we know how to do a live stream, which is, which is great. Um, but, but that saved us, uh, definitely. Yeah. And then in the summer, we did a bunch of outdoor gigs on um, Shelter Island because that place seemed to be unaffected as far as live performance. Uh, so much outdoor space. Um, people were still hiring musicians. So I spent a lot of time out there and very grateful for that. I mean, that saved me. If I, if I hadn't had that opportunity, I, I have friends that didn't play for two straight years. Oh, I, I don't think I could have done that. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you have a pretty lengthy, eclectic career in the music industry. What do you think you've taken away as as learning lessons that you wish you would have known years ago before you started your journey? Um, there there are a lot. <laughs> I've learned a lot. Um, I think you know one thing I learned, and I'm still learning, is kind of knowing, asking for what I. Th- asking for what I want as far as, um, you know, how I want to be treated as, as a performing musician. I played a lot of free shows at the beginning and, and you kind of have to do that when you're starting out. Nobody knows who you are. You know, you can't really ask people to buy tickets to a stranger's show. Right. But I think, uh, you know, what I've learned is really kind of not being ashamed or not thinking I'm being a diva by having certain demands or, or, asking for what I feel like I deserve. Um, I would say, you know, don't cater to people that don't want to, that don't value your time. Mm. Um, you can only do a cer- certain number of shows for exposure bucks, and then you've got to, you know, step it up. You you deserve, you, you put a lot of time and effort into practicing and writing and, and recording and all of this stuff, and you, you deserve to be compensated for it in some way. Um, and that's something I'm dealing with right now. I also learned uh, kind of not to compare myself to other people or maybe compare our situation to other people's situations. Um, and I, that's something I'm still learning too. You know, like I sit here and see people going on tour right now and I'm really jealous, but I know that I'm going to have a tour coming up soon. So yeah. trying to really focus on your own art and your own music and your own performance and not worry too much about what other people are doing or, you know, it's not a race basically. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're all, we're all going uh, in the same direction, but it's not a race. And uh, I, I sometimes would let non-music things distract me from the actual music um, and stress me out. And I, and I've learned kind of how, how to avoid that yeah. uh, in my, in my 10 years and various bands that I've played in. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of bands. I, I was doing a lot of singing work for free for a while too, for other bands. And that was frustrating because I, I wanted to do people a favor, but I'm also trying to make a living doing this. And so that, that stopped now. Now I have a rate. I know it's not fun to talk about money when you're talking about music, but sure. 
but you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to have time and the, and the mental space to write and create when you feel like you're constantly struggling to, to get by financially. So, yeah. you know, there, and there are ways like selling CDs and merch and Patreon is something I started doing now. And, um, you know, I've really expanded kind of our various platforms in that way, you know, not just playing live, not just selling recordings, but the live streams, the Patreon, all that stuff, uh, goes into the business plan now. And, and I, I mean, again, I think COVID helped me get there because what else was I going to do? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's interesting. Like you, you have seen a lot of the facets of, of the music industry for a long time. How has it evolved over time since, you know, whether it's, you know, your family's uh, a, a part of the recording industry or, or even now, like, how have you seen the music industry evolve over time? I mean, I think um, this question is, is, is a complicated one because I think there are things that have evolved in a great way. Yep. And I think there are things that have evolved uh, not in a great way. Um, you know, you see Spotify and it's such to me a double-edged sword because Spotify allows me to get my music out to lots of people that would never otherwise listen to us. However, it takes advantage of the musicians. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, you don't, people spin your songs and, and they listen to it for free and, and you're not getting anything back in return. Um, and and I, I think, you know, you're blatantly using, using artists and for them to make money and, and the artists are not getting, getting what they deserve. Um, I've also seen, you know, it used to be that a label would want to develop an artist and would put money behind them. Now it's really the artist has to develop themselves, um, get to really get to a certain place all on their own. Um, as far as followers, I mean, with social media now, it's all about followers and likes and shares and all that stuff. And that, and that's hard. Um, because you end up putting a lot, you you end up investing a lot of time of your own time in, into things and uh, without support. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, but then you see like people on SoundCloud who just record in their home and upload on SoundCloud and then get all these hits and become successful. So, you know, I don't think social media is evil. It's definitely changed the way things work um, yeah. and streaming services as well. Um, but, it, but I'm often back and forth about it. You know, it's, I would love to say I'm anti-Spotify, I will not put my music up there, but then I know there are hundreds of people that won't ever hear it or won't be able to hear it because it's not on there. So um, I think we're all still figuring it out <laughs> and we're all still trying to just find a way to adapt to this new system where it's really all driven by the musicians themselves and it's all self-promotion and marketing and, and crowdfunding. Um, so it's a lot. I miss the days. I mean, I wasn't around, but I, I you know, <clears throat> would love it to still be a thing where you walk into a record label with a demo and you say, hey, I write cool music and they say, great, let's do a session and put it together and put it on the radio and see how it goes. I mean, it's not that simple anymore. Right. There's so many moving parts and, um, you know, you've got TikTok stars that can't even sing getting record deals because they're famous. So that right. that's that's a whole other facet of it. People 
people getting deal, you know, who, who do people really want to hear? Is it about the music or is it about the popularity? Um, right. right. Which complicated. Yeah. Well, I think you bring up a good point, right? I, I'm in my mid forties and I remember going to record stores and re- reading liner notes of albums and stuff. And, and back then you still had A&R. A&R was an actual thing, right? Where to your yeah. point, you found some raw band and some raw, you know, dirty, dusty, grimy venue, but you saw the raw talent. They came in and r sort of molded them and rounded the, the sharp edges. And then there was a whole marketing team that, that went out and marketed them in. Now the community at large has become that A&R. And the signal yeah. is you have 2 million hits on something and suddenly that's a marketable thing. But to right. your point, I think the the labels that look at it from a longevity standpoint, not just like the quick cash grab, are the ones right. that are benefiting, right? And I think, yeah, it's an interesting thing. Where are we headed from here? Like, where do we go from here? How do we, how, how are we adapting to, to things? Are we doing it well? Is it, Do you think that there's hope for the music industry going forward? Um, I think there is. I mean, I, there are a lot of great independent labels out there. There are a lot of successful self self uh, produced self released artists. I mean, I I feel like where I see it going is, you know, maybe since the labels are not supporting so much, you can't depend on them. You know, I, th- I see a lot more in- independence happening in the future. I am hoping. Um, I think it would be great to get back to a place, like you said, where people are actually discovering for themselves. Um, I think that doesn't happen as much anymore. Um, Or or there is like an underground scene of music fans that still love to go to shows and discover bands and read music blogs and and love to discover the bands that no one's heard of. And that's their favorite bands. And that's kind of, I feel like, where I would like to go with it is that kind of sense of not trying to cater to the social media numbers, but cater to the fans that are actually listening. And like you said, read the liner notes are interested in what's going on and and how it started and and the stories behind the songs and not just listening to what people have told them to listen to. And, And I think it's a bubble that will burst eventually. You know, I think eventually we'll get back to a place kind of like nineties and grunge where People are tired of the bright and shiny things thrown in their face and they they yearn to explore for themselves. So I, I hope we get back there. And, and I do know a bunch of independent labels out there that are supporting that and music, small music magazines that are supporting that. Um, and so I think we, we are making small adjustments, but there is this giant cavern really between the unknown singer songwriter and the extremely successful pop pop star. I mean, it's just this huge gaping space. And, and uh, I think we're all trying to adapt the best we can. Um, And and yeah, I'm hoping the resurgence of vinyl in the past five or six years has, has been really um, promising in my eyes. (laughs) People want to listen to a record and they want to listen to the whole record and they, want to read the liner notes and they want the stickers or the poster that comes with the record. I mean, that I'm hoping that trend continues because that is kind of the opposite of Spotify and, you know, the kind of attention span that a lot of people lack these days. They just want to hear a song. They don't even listen to the whole song. They listen to two minutes of it and skip to the next one. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah. 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 Still, we're still getting there. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Where, Where can people find you guys online? 
Well, you know, after all that, you can find us on Spotify. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and but we're on YouTube Music as well. If you don't want to pay for Spotify, you know, we we have all of our release tracks on YouTube. Um, also, we have a website www.lizzieandthemakers.com that has a bunch of videos and music on there. And uh, we have a band camp also, which, you know, if you want to really support the musicians, you can buy the albums digitally there um, and iTunes. It's kind of all of them. I love it. I love <laughs> all it. the streaming sites. <laughs> yeah. No, all the streaming sites. Well, yeah. Dear Onda comes out November 5th. We're very excited yeah. to hear it. Can't wait. Um, and then, like you said, see you out on the road soon, right? Oh, yeah. So we are doing a release show on the 10th in New York City. Um, but then we have plans to play in Asbury Park, New Jersey, some places in Westchester. Spring, we're going to play South by Southwest in Austin. Nice. Do a little Texas tour. Um, and then hopefully also in the spring, make it over to the West Coast. We haven't played over there in, in a few years now. And I, and I really dying to get back there, too. So, so yeah soon 2022 nice. yeah it's on well when you make it to portland let's get together and and uh and get a, a maker's mark <laughs> oh yes please and, and maker's mark if you're listening and you want to sponsor us right. my guitarist has a has a big truck and said he will wrap it that's awesome in maker's mark branding i love if it <laughs> i love it definitely you got to do that all right well yeah. lizzie thank you so much for being on the show it's been so much uh fun getting to know you and your band and, and uh wish you all the luck and, and can't wait to see you live thank you so much it's a pleasure you've been listening to the 510 radio on the 510.com any rebroadcast transcription or dissemination in whole or in part is strictly prohibited unless given express written consent by the 510.com or its officers all music played on the 510 radio and the 510.com is copyright of the respective owners this has been a production of the 510.com